Welcome to Twinning It, the podcast that delves into the nitty gritty of parenting twins. I'm Alison Perry, author of OMG It's Twins and mum of preschooler girl twins. And I'm Jenna Good, journalist and mum of toddler boy girl twins. We know what a challenge it can be to raise twins. So join us as we speak to experts and other twin mums to get answers to all of those burning questions. Welcome back to another episode of Twinning It. Now, I feel like today's topic is like the holy grail of parenting, especially twin parenting. We are talking about sleep. How well your babies, toddlers or children sleep can make you or it can break you. Oh my God, it really can. And our guest today is so well placed to give us loads of sleep tips, thankfully. We've got the lovely Sarah Carpenter with us today, who's a Norland qualified nanny and a sleep expert with over 20 years experience. So we're in good hands. (laughs) She's also one half of the brilliant podcast, The Sleep Mums, and co-author of the book, Sleep Better Baby. And she's helped loads and loads of parents from across the world, even maybe like quite famous (gasps) ones as well. Um, Sarah is also a mum of three and she's looked after lots of twins over the years so we cannot wait to pick her brain. Welcome to the podcast Sarah. Thank you so much for having me it's lovely to see you both again. You too. Um, So yeah um, we've just been chatting to you before we started recording and you were telling us um, about how busy you are helping families with, uh, with their sleep. Yes, it is very busy just now, which is great. I love um, being busy. I love helping as many people as I can um, because it does make all the difference. You know, parenting is tough enough. And when you're sleep deprived, it's pretty much impossible. And it's just everything becomes impossible. You know, holding down relationships for people with slightly older children, if they've already gone back to work, actually keeping their job and doing it in a way that they're comfortable and happy with. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the impact it has on everything is just so real. Um, and everyone deserves to get the advice that they need to get the sleep that they want. And that doesn't necessarily mean sleep training or um you know, getting 12 hours. I would never want 12 hours sleep. It wouldn't work for me. But I know that my children need that. So it's doing what's right for you and I love being able to provide that opportunity for as many families as possible. And you work for families um, across the globe not just in I mean you're you're based in Scotland aren't you but it's not just like a local service you provide is it? No definitely not Um, so I was really lucky actually that during COVID so the first lockdown and the families that I had booked in for in-house services I went to them all and said look obviously I can't come so would you be up for trialing cameras and if it works fantastic if it doesn't whenever we get out of lockdown I'll come and help you and it actually worked amazingly well so it was a service that I continued to offer after lockdown and it's now allowed me to work everywhere so the but sort of biggest client base I've got at the moment is London, but I am working. I've just finished two jobs in Australia and I'm currently working in California. So it's a, yeah. it's just so <laughs> incredible that, you know, obviously there'll be sleep help for these people in their own countries, um, but they decided <laughs> to come to you. Did they hear for, hear about you through the podcast, do you think? Um, so there's do? a couple of different, um, certainly the California ones, it was um, an article that they had read um, online uh, that was in The Juggle recently. Um, so they had 
read that article mm-hmm. and got in touch that way. And the Australian families, one of them was through the podcast and one of them was um, a connection at um, the RIE in Scotland, so the Royal um, Hospital in Scotland. Um, there was a connection there. So they got in touch with me that way. So, yeah, it just, you know, word of mouth really does travel far. Yeah. So, Jenna, I'm really interested to know what it was like for you when, you know, your twins were really little with sleep, because I do feel like it's a slightly different kind of kettle of fish with just one baby versus two babies. Um, Like with my twins, um, we had their Moses baskets in our living room for the first few months. And that's just where they slept. Like they didn't sleep in our bedroom or their bedroom um, like during the day and during the night. Um, And we took turns sleeping in the sofa. Um, And it was quite brutal, like waking up every few hours to feed them, but kind of kept myself going watching lots of Gilmore Girls and lots of episodes of Friends um, and I, I ate so many biscuits oh my goodness um, what was it like for you Jenna sugar. yeah sugar what was it like for you in those early days yeah we had ours in the mountain buggy duet little uh, bassinet things just on the sofa and we used to play Spar FM what's a, that all day <laughs> I don't know we used to just go Alexa play calm music and it used to go this is far <laughs> fm and then we just used to have have that on all all the time it was something like that and it just played like really chilled music and um to be honest i can't actually remember that much about that whole time apart from that kind of snippet of niceness but i also could remember being up all night you know getting the odd two hours sleep here and there and looking over at my husband like what on earth has just happened to our mm. life um because if there wasn't, you know, one baby up, the other baby was up. And um, and then we did get a little bit of help in terms of some advice because we I didn't know about routines or anything like that. And I hadn't even heard of wake windows. So, you know, they were just awake when they were awake and occasionally they fall asleep. Um, so it was all quite fraught and exhausting. And um, and then obviously we were trying to like sink naps and things like that. Because But I remember there was a time there were like four naps a day. And so trying to sink their naps was like a huge source of anxiety and stress. Yeah. It just feels like it dominates like your every waking thought, trying to coordinate naps and knowing what the best yeah. thing to do is. Um, Sarah, what are the kind of good yeah. habits that are good to get into in those very early days? So it's really important not to focus too much on getting into a routine. I think of, you know, in my experience with the twin families that I've worked for, that's one of the things that they sort of cling on to as a bit of advice that they've been given during pregnancy is, you know, get into a routine straight away and everything's going to be great. No, it doesn't work like that. Like you've got two babies who have different needs. Yes, they're twins, but you're not going to be able to nail it straight away. You can get there eventually if that's the route that you go down, but you have to treat them like individuals as well, you know, babies in those first few weeks you need to get to know them you need to connect with them and you need to connect with yourselves as well you know it's a completely new world that you're living in as much as bringing them into it too so it's really important to kind of take the pressure off try and stop thinking about sleep at the beginning and just think about feeding because that is a basic need that the babies need to keep them alive and they both need that or if it's triplets they all need that so it's really important just to focus Mm -hmm. on that and sort of use that as your stepping stone for knowing how you're going to survive the day so if you can space your feeds and get them either next to each other so tandem feeding whether that's bottle or breast or within 15 to 20 minutes of each other that's you got the hooks that you're going to hang your day on and then if you can start to think about your awake time so 
what time you're going to start your day and what time you're going to finish your day, then things naturally start to fall into place. But it takes the pressure off thinking of it like that. If you start your day thinking, okay, they've been asleep for this long, they can be awake for this long, and then I need them to sleep again, you can guarantee your anxiety is going to go through the roof and you've stopped any progress being made right from day one. So I think the advice that's popular during pregnancy for twin parents or multiple parents is really difficult and leads you to sort of unrealistic expectations in those first few weeks. Yeah, that's really good advice. Mm. I remember kind of when my twins were younger, one of my big fears was one twin waking up the other twin, like when they were both babies, but also like through toddlerhood. Um, what's your experience of this um, and what can twin parents do? Is it a case of, it's like we used like white, we didn't use Spa FM, Jenna, we used like white <laughs> noise we use like white noise apps and also we've got an older um, child and so she was generally quite noisy is it good just to have like a certain level of noise in the house in the home um so that they're used to that definitely absolutely if you imagine what they've gone through when they're in the womb you know it is noisy it's not silent so you want to recreate that noise as much as possible and also get them used to each other so having them crying next to each other isn't a bad thing because they do then that becomes a familiar sound and certainly having the older one if you've got an older one as well having them running around being themselves that's not only good for the babies but it's good for them too you don't want to be constantly telling other children that they have to be quiet because of the babies so just everybody being natural and that's the same for you know single families as well it's like so many parents tiptoe around when the babies are asleep don't flush toilet let's don't boil the kettle all those things you know and it's very much like encouraged that I've got a video on my Instagram page of me um hoovering next to Emily my youngest hoovering right next to her cot when she's asleep and I'm like that is an extreme example but you do need to be normal like you have to just get on with it and they do get used to each other but definitely using like your white noise or some sort of noise in the background that becomes the stable sound and can really help babies as well. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. Um, Our bathroom is right next door to the twins' bedroom and we have stopped having showers in it and brushing our teeth in it at night and we use like the downstairs loo to do all of that because we're so terrified that when they're both asleep, any chance of them waking up. Yeah, I was going to say that's the first bit of homework I would set you as a client. I'd be like, right, you need to get in the shower and you need to report back to me. (laughs) Deep breath. (laughs) Okay. Um, so Sarah, another reason why I really wanted to speak to you today, quite selfishly for my own reasons, um, <laughs> my twins are about to turn three and they're definitely showing signs that they're going to climb out the cot soon. Um, I've been trying to hold them captive in sleeping bags, um, until now, but they, they can get out of their sleeping bags. Jenna, mine are still in sleeping bags. One of them is, oh, and good. they're four and a half yeah. and one of them, wow. honestly, like, I think it's. I think it's like age two to three, but one of them refuses <laughs> to stop wearing it. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I mean, so mine are like thinking, well, they're trying to take it off and then I go and put it back on again. Um, so I think they are probably ready for duvets, but I just see this as like a slippery slope towards them actually getting out the cot. And then I, honestly, out of all the transitions that we've gone through, I feel like this is causing me the most stress and I'm so anxious about it because this is it now. Once they're out of those cot bars, they could, they're free. And, you know, if I'm asleep, what are they going to do? You know, there's so many things going around my head. And also I just think because they love playing, they take ages to go to sleep as it is. They just like chatting and messing around. Um, 
they're just going to rip the room apart. They're just going to go wild when they're free. Um, so I have got quite a lot of questions <laughs> about this. Um, have you worked with many toddler twins who have gone through this transition? I have, yes. And they all get through it and they all survive. That's the main thing to remember. Do the parents okay. survive though, Sarah? Do the parents survive? The parents do yeah. survive. Sometimes it takes them a little bit longer to get over it than the babies, but they get there. <laughs> Um, But the sleeping bag thing, I love this sleeping bag issue because there's so many ways that you can actually keep them in their sleeping bags. So they don't need to come out of it. Even if they're taking them off, you just need to hack the sleeping bag. So if they've got the zip up the front, you turn it round and zip them up the back. If they've got the buttons on the top or if they're smart enough to get the zip undone, you just put their pyjama top over the sleeping bag. So it covers all the escape oh, routes. Such a so good yeah, idea. I would be doing that and keeping them in those bags. Also, do you know what I might do? I might, I might, I might cut the bottom of my sleeping bag off so that they've got their little <laughs> feet at the bottom of it. I might do that. Sorry, carry on, carry on. But then, then they'll still climb. That's the thing. <laughs> so you can get like big sleeping bags now. They go up to age seven. So you can, you can get, get them with like yeah. legs, can't you? Do they really? I mean, yeah, we haven't got the cot bars up, Sarah. Just let me be clear on this. We oh, have, okay. we've had our, our twins have been in their, in beds for a good kind of 18 months, two years now. Okay. But they still, and they've got duvets and yeah. pillows, but they still refuse to take their sleeping bags off. It's just yeah. this kind of comfort thing for them. It's so weird. It will be part comfort, but also like toddlers are not quiet sleepers. So they do not keep those covers on. So even if you, if they do come out of their sleeping bag and they won't keep the sleeping bag on or you can't hack it, the um, duvet is better placed going like across the bed rather than up and down it. So you can tuck it in on both sides so that it then does stay on more because mm-hmm. they do get cold. You know, we underestimate how chilly babies and toddlers get when they do kick their covers off and if you think about us at night you know we are able to pull them back over get comfortable and go straight back to sleep they don't have that same ability so by doing things that help them stay warm at night so sleeping bags on or duvets tucked in on either side makes a big difference so how long do you think we should keep the sleeping bags on for if we if we can like, is this to avoid them climbing out the cot? They will, as, as they get bigger, they will still find a way to climb out the cot if they want to. So, But there's also <laughs> no right or wrong to how long you keep the sleeping bag on. My um, eldest stayed in a sleeping bag until he was six. He just loved it. So that was his thing. He didn't stay no, in a cot? No, he didn't stay in a cot. He came home <laughs> from preschool one day and said, Mum, all my friends sleep in beds. Can I have a bed? So that's how old he was when he transitioned. But he loved his cot. And then for him, we just put the cot mattress on the floor and he stayed on his cot mattress on the floor for a while. And then we went to bed. He literally loved his cot. So they all do it at different times. Is it? Yeah. Is there a, like a particularly like sweet spot age for them to have the cot Definitely bars down? not. Every child is so, so different. So, and that is one of the things I think when you first emailed me about doing this podcast, one of the things that I'd said that we definitely have to cover is, yes, they are twins, but they are their own people as well. And it's not necessarily that they will both transition at the same time. And I've had loads of twin families where one has gone into a bed and the other one hasn't. So it's okay to acknowledge that they like their own things and let them actually explore that. Mm. Um, So one family that I had, they tried to do the transition before they got in touch and they'd moved them both. But it was very evident that one of the twins was just really unsettled by this and they had real anxiety about being in a bed. And as soon as we put them back in the cot, they were 
absolutely fine, totally comfortable. They went through a little nighttime routine where they would tuck their brother into his bed, then toddle over to their cot, get in their cot and sleep all night. So treating them as individuals is so interesting. Yeah. But I guess like all all twins dynamics are different. And I know my twins are quite like, they like doing everything the same together. They're boy and girl. So they're not, you know, identical twins or anything, but they just, I just know if one does one thing, then the other one will want to do it as well. I can't imagine like one of them, like not having cot bars (laughs) and that's okay too you know that's them acknowledging that actually they can support each other through the transition so that's fine um there's no but there is no right or wrong to the age of doing it Sarah what are the signs then so if Jenna or anyone listening is thinking oh you know my twins might be ready what are the signs that we could be looking out for so the most obvious sign is climbing out or if they've become more unsettled in their sleep. So if you've had a previous sleeper who's gone into their cot, they've settled really easily, they've slept all night and they've got up quite happily, who suddenly is resisting bedtime, resisting going into the cot, waking up frequently overnight and then waking up earlier. That can be a sign because it could mean that they're being more physical within the space and they are bumping themselves or they're just bumping themselves enough not to hurt themselves but to wake up or they might have changed their sleeping position so they may have gone from sort of sleeping in a more fetal position to having the arms stretched out and the legs and being more starfished and they just want the space and but again it generally I'd say 90% of the time it is the parents who make the decision rather than waiting for any sort of sign. Right okay. I'm just going to try and keep them in there for forever. <laughs> um, so, okay, I guess my big fear is once they're out, um, they can get out of the cots. Like they could injure themselves in the room. They could get out the room. Are there like tips on how to prepare their bedrooms um, for when they come out? So you do want to make the bedroom really minimalistic when you first make the transition. So avoid having anything like up high that they might try and reach for or um, anything that they can climb on, you know, just sort of cast your eye around it, make sure that wires are safe because generally it is a bit darker. They're not going to be as aware if they do get out of bed. I really like setting booby traps so that there's something that they knock over when they first get out of bed so that it makes a noise loud enough to wake you up but doesn't hurt them. So just something that can kind of, you know, a toy like build them sort of building bricks or something that's not going to hurt anybody but is going to clatter and give you the fright that you need to wake up because toddlers can be really stealth and super quiet when they get up so if you've got something that either falls off the bed or makes a noise when they first climb out that alerts you and then you're through and dealing with it before anything else can happen. Hmm. And is it a good idea to keep the monitor going in the room at this stage? Because I'm thinking, oh, what they get caught in the wires so, of the monitor. The monitor thing is quite a tricky one because they do generally sort of gravitate towards things like that. But if you can have it placed somewhere that's higher in the room, so maybe on top of a wardrobe or something like that, so that the wires are coming up behind, but then overlooking the entire room, that works well. Or if you can attach it to the wall and actually attach the wire into the corner of the wall, things like that work. It's one of those things that I don't know why there hasn't been a wireless monitor designed for babies' bedrooms. Yeah. It would be such a good thing. Definitely is a good Mm -hmm. business idea. Yeah, for sure. Also, Jenna, can I just reassure you that I I didn't follow any of this advice because I hadn't spoken to Sarah before we took our cot bars down. And um, our our twins, their cots, um, in they're, they're on both sides of the room, and in between is this kind of like big IKEA um, chest of drawers. 
that they could easily climb up onto from their beds and have a right old carry on. And they've never once, it has not occurred to them. They have not climbed. They have not done, they've never got out of bed. Maybe they went through a wee bit of a phase of getting out of bed and like having a little bit of a play like with their doll's house. But that's all, that happened like a few times and then they quickly stopped doing it. And it hasn't been like this ongoing issue. So just to reassure you that it's not it's not a foregone conclusion that your twins are going to be climbing and acting like caged animals (laughs) (laughs) who've been set free maybe maybe they'll find it like really a nice grown-up responsibility to to like sleep in their bed and like should you offer them rewards or anything like that so that is very much a personal thing like the reward system um it does work for some children. It doesn't work for others. All I would say about rewards is that you really don't want to get stuck in a habit where you end up having to buy some sort of plastic tat toy every three days. So if you go down the reward route, try and make it more activity based. Yeah. So, you know, pick like five things that you would basically do anyway, like go to the park or go on a bike ride or go swimming or, you know, things like that. And then write them down on yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Sticks. Things exactly. that you want to do anyway. And just have them written down so that they're picking out the rewards. So you're you're in control and you're not having to buy lots of things. Um, but yeah, depending on the age, you know, from sort of yeah, that's a great three idea. and a half, four upwards rewards can work really well. Um, but the key thing and the most important bit of advice that I would give to anybody is don't be scared of the transition and have your plan in place before you start. So make sure that everyone who's involved is on the same page make sure you write your plan down so that there's no arguments on that first or second or third night because generally what can happen is night one possibly Mm -hmm. night two can go swimmingly and everyone thinks oh this is amazing you know we've, we've nailed it and then the problems will start but because there hasn't been a fixed plan in place that's when the arguments between the adults start so it's like well I'm doing this and you're doing that and this isn't working so if you've got it written down before you start it doesn't matter what night it is that it starts to go awry everyone's on the right page and you deal with it and you're consistent and you follow it through. Um, now, now, Jenna and I were chatting about this um, um, a few weeks ago because Jenna really has been Jenna really has been worried about this for quite a while. <laughs> Stressing about yeah, this. We've for been about chatting about this a lot. Um, and she was saying that she read some advice that um, some people advise to put a lock on the door. Um, and I was, I'll admit, I was kind of horrified by this. I was like, no, Jenna, you can't do that. <laughs> um, you know, it does feel a little bit extreme. <laughs> Um, but what should people do if they are worried about the the kids getting out of bed and just like bombing it out the rim and you know creating havoc around the house? So yeah, I I'm not a fan of closing doors and locking doors. I think you know there's a time and a place. I'd say my middle one who is now nine has just started to decide to lock his door and that's fine it's a decision that he's made. But I'm very clear that the key has to stay on the outside of the drawer just in case of emergency. My other two would be horrified if I even suggested shutting the door. So it's not for me. However, people, you know, will make their own decision about that. And if that's the route that you want to go down, that's totally fine. I would rather recommend using a stair gate or something like that across the door. And obviously because 
you're worried about climbing, the fabric ones that are more of a solid piece rather than the ones with the bars, they make it much harder to climb over. Yeah. Um, so they're more sort of sold as travel stair gates, um, but they, they are pretty much impossible to climb over. So I would say use something like that rather than actually locking the door. Um, if you already close your door, then that's fine. Um, you know, that's it's not a problem. But I think locking the door is quite an extreme form of a jail yeah yeah I, th- I think like, yeah <laughs> no I wasn't really Jenna, that, honestly <laughs> Sarah she, she, she's such a cruel mum no I'm kidding I'm kidding <laughs> I'm kidding oh. no that sounds like a good idea one of those yeah. fabric ones yeah and then they can just sort of stand there and yeah. shout at me instead um so am I going to be like sat outside the door all the time, putting them back to bed constantly? Is that what you do if they get out of bed? It's what you do if they get out of bed, but it doesn't mean that that's what you're going to do. So the first few days that you start this, I would recommend starting bedtime about half an hour earlier than you normally would, just so that you've planned for a little bit of nonsense and fun. Um have a really busy day in terms of being outside lots, you know, really tire them out, but don't overstimulate them too close to bedtime. So you want to get that balance of lots of fresh air, um, you know, minimise if they're still napping, minimise the nap on that day. So just cut it like 20 minutes yes. shy yeah. and make sure that they're nice and full. Do something for dinner that you know they're going to eat. So just set yourself up really perfectly. Have a nice calm bedtime and then pop them into bed. Another thing that I really like doing is giving children like a visual chart to follow. So just writing down and drawing little pictures of what you do on the run up to bed. So, you know, dinner, book, bath, teeth pajamas whatever order you do it in and then they just fold up the little flaps so they hide each thing when they've done it Um, and if you tie that in with the start of transitioning to a bed it gets them quite excited so they feel then like they're a wee bit more in control they know what's happening and the very last thing is that they hop into bed and say goodnight to mummy and daddy and then you put that flap up and you leave the room and they stay in bed. Um, and reading social stories is another really good one. So design a story around your specific twins and have little things in it that are very personalised to them. And the final page is you jump into bed, you say goodnight to mummy and daddy, you stay in your bed and we see you in the morning. So it's just reiterating that without dictating to them and really disciplining them you're just gently putting these thoughts into their head and then they know that they're making you proud and they're making you happy by doing it but yes that's the perfect bedtime and the imperfect bedtime is when you've returned them 500 times but that's okay because it won't last forever (laughs) so but it's being consistent okay that's what you have to think isn't it it's not this is this is just a stage it's not going to last forever so so you do just have to keep putting them back to bed and what not speaking to them you just kind of pick them up and put them back in so speaking to them is fine if you don't engage with them so if you have a line like good night mommy loves you see you in the morning that's totally fine if that however and ignites a conversation of well now I need a wee now I need a drink now I need a bit of toast now I need this then don't just don't speak and that's it done um the other thing as well that people um kind of get into their head is that if you start it you have to finish it and that's not the case you know you can take it in turns if there's another adult in the house it's fine to do 10 minute shifts each and things like that like you do not have to think okay I put them to bed first so I'm stuck here now until whatever o'clock at night until they actually go to sleep just take shift it's far better especially if you can feel yourself starting to get a bit anxious or angry you're better walking away and letting someone else take over 
Yeah, that's good advice, actually, because with twins, I feel like we tend to one has one, one looks after the other. And maybe what we should do is just like one has like, like you say, a shift where you look after both of them. Then you come downstairs and have a rest and then you swap over. Yeah, I think it gives you a little bit more mental stamina if you do it that way, definitely. Now, you just mentioned about capping the naps because this was another thing that I was thinking about. Because I feel like they kind of could drop their nap now, um, like to make them more tired for bedtime as well. Is this now a good time to drop the nap, would you say, as you're about to transition? So you need to get the balance because if you drop the nap and then they're overtired, they're going to struggle. So it's better to cap it initially Mm. rather than drop it completely or drop it completely and give them plenty of time to transition before you then do the transition to bed so you could drop the nap now and then maybe in like three months transition them into beds but you would give them that three months to really let them adjust to not having a nap so don't do it at the same time it would just be too much to cope with and everyone is gonna find that really tricky um with the nap dropping if you can, or even with the transition to the beds, you know, if if they are still napping when they transition, but then in a few months' time you find that they've totally dropped it, just try to have quiet time in their beds. So either give them, if they've got like a Yoto or a Tony box or something like that, like sit and just sit on the beds and listen to that for 20 minutes, half an hour. I always find with twins that if they've actually got their own headphones, it allows them to really switch off and just go into their own wee zone or just flick through a book and things like that. But just the headphones with twins means that it minimises the chat between them. If you don't have the headphones, you find that they then do just have a conversation with each other, which is lovely, but you also do want them to have that calm time. And if you've started that process as they're um, dropping their naps it becomes part of the routine and so then they're used to it and it just as it becomes what they do so it's not a problem yeah um yeah nap nap dropping is is another issue as well because that's our like downtime that's when we kind of regroup recover have a cup of tea do the washing up and then you know psych ourselves up to go and get them again how does any twin parent cope when they drop the nap honestly (laughs) i think it uh, do you know what i know i know it's a bit of a cliche jenna and i know that you're a bit like yeah whatever but i i genuinely found it a bit easier not having to plan my whole day around their nap because they were napping from like I don't know, half 12, one until about three, half three. They were really good nappers. But it just meant we couldn't do anything. And if like friends wanted to see us, we'd be like, well, we can only do it in the morning and then we've got to be back by lunchtime. So actually it was quite nice. That's, that yeah. is my life. Yeah, I, I do see that. I think we are we are just a bit scared because we're just so exhausted at the weekends. Just the thought of not being able to sit down for an hour and watch Place in the Sun. <laughs> but that's like, okay. Yeah. Like, you can still do that. Just because they've dropped their nap, it doesn't mean that you can't still do that. I think it's really important for parents to know that it's not a negative to take time out for yourself. Like I really struggled with that, especially when I became a single parent. I felt like I had to do it all a million miles an hour, 365 days a year. And you can't. And just recently I started to read again. And it's amazing how me just saying, okay, I'm going to sit down for half an hour and read my book. Emily now is like, oh, I'm going to go and get my book. And she'll sit next to me. She can't read yet, so it's slightly annoying. But <laughs> it's that modelling again. <laughs> it's yeah. really nice for them to see that. So, so yeah. It's also really nice that because I, I, I used to sit there, like, just if they were, like, sitting, you know, watching TV or whatever, I would sit and scroll on my phone. And I've started sitting there reading a book instead. And I'm like, this is actually really good for them to see that I'm reading an actual book and not just on my phone the whole time. It, it is really good. 
This is so strange that we're talking about this because Alice and I actually really wanted to bring this up with you for ages. (laughs) Because I heard, yeah, because you mentioned this whole book reading thing on another This whole book reading thing. And it's really played on my mind (laughs) because I'm like, she reads a book while the twins are around. Like, how? Okay. Honestly, I'm like either breaking up fights, they're climbing on me. Like, there's just literally no chance of me putting a book and reading it. Basically, and this is not great, okay, but I'm just being honest here. My twins were 18 months old when the (laughs) pandemic hit. And so we had no choice but to foster a very strong relationship with the screen um so they watch a lot of telly they've got a little like like old ipads that they that they use um and so they will like they play and they're in the garden and all the rest of it but then they will sit for like an hour or so and just like be playing games on their ipad or watching tv and stuff and so and actually they I, if I try and get up and do things, like if I try and like tidy or whatever, they're like, mommy, come back to the sofa, come and sit with us, come and sit with us. And they want to kind of sit on me. So I'm kind of trapped there, like poor me trapped on the sofa. So <laughs> that's when I pick up my book and I read it. Okay. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up because it really was playing on my mind. It has been for weeks. <laughs> okay i knew there. i knew there was more to the story <laughs> but that's great though because it's still they're still seeing you do that and seeing that you need downtime i mean we say to our children all the time okay we've had a busy morning we're just gonna have half an hour of downtime and without realizing it as parents we generally do them buzz around doing everything and actually that's not good modeling for them because then they resent why do we need downtime when you're not having it so yeah mm. so there's more homework for you jenna <laughs> Also, I do speak to quite a lot of, I speak to quite a lot of people who, um, like my friends, my age, who they say to me things like, Oh, I just can't sit down. I just can't relax. And I'm like, and when I, when you dig down a bit deeper, they watch their mums buzz about the whole time and not sit down and not relax. And so, and I know this sounds like a bit of a cop out, mm-hmm. but I genuinely do feel it by modeling me relaxing and chilling out it is good for them and they're going to grow up to be healthy adults who can switch off well i'm going to try and input that into my brain next time i just find myself running around in circles it's another good thing as well when you are sitting outside the bedroom door if you've transitioned into the bed and you feel like you're more comfortable staying close to the door on those first few nights just sitting reading a book then is really good because they also then see that and rather than getting up and finding toys, they'd then be more inclined to get up and find a book and sit in their bed reading a book like Mummy, and then they'll just drift off as well. So that's really good advice. Yeah. Um, are there any items that you would suggest we buy to prepare for healthy sleep or transitioning into beds? Like we've got the grow clock, which has been really brilliant for us in terms of them not getting up and out of bed too early. But there has been a few times where it's kind of malfunctioned or we set it incorrectly and it's kind of gone off in the middle of the night <laughs> and it's really freaked oh, one of my no. twins out. And like, she's kind of come upstairs and said, Oh, you know, what's, what's happening. Um, so it's not, it's not foolproof. It's not idiot proof. Yeah. None of them are, unfortunately. The one that I um, really do like is the Yoto. So the bigger Yoto, there's Yoto Mini and then the bigger Yoto. And the bigger Yoto, you can obviously play the stories on. You can record yourself, which I love. So, um, you know, I've got like a story for Emily recorded on that that she then listens to when she goes to sleep. Um, But it also has the clock that comes on in the morning. So it's not dissimilar to the grow clock but it's a much more gentle Mm. start to the day um, and there's no sound when it comes on so 
there's no chance that that's going to wake them up. It's more just that when they do naturally wake up, they can see that they're allowed to get up. So, so yeah, that would be my one. Um, and it's always quite nice that if you are, you know, if you're going down the duvet route, it's quite a nice event to take them shopping with you and actually choose their own pattern of duvets because then you get that individuality again as well. So giving them a little bit of freedom on that is a good thing. And some people like to get new pyjamas. It's one of those, like, just nice little things. Like, oh, yeah, yeah that's a nice idea. Sort of more grown-up jammies, yeah. that kind of thing. But no, equally, you don't need to buy anything at all. You can just... And if you don't have cot beds, you don't need to run out and get cot beds either. Just pop the cot mattress on the floor um, and then transition to a single bed. Yeah, we do have um, quite big cot beds already with the bars on because I was thinking that I'd use those for when they get a bit older. Um, Do you need to buy like one of those things that you stick under the bed and it's like has some bars there so they don't roll out? Bed guard. Yeah. I like them. I particularly like them if you go away a lot because it means that it's something that, you know, you can't guarantee that it's going to be a similar size bed that they're in when you go away. And so being able to just fold them up and chuck them in the car or chuck them in your suitcase just means then that it's something familiar when you do go away and it does just restrict that movement a little bit. So, yes, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with them at all. It's something they're also quite about. good things that you can get like secondhand, like on Facebook Marketplace. Definitely. There's always yep. parents who are getting rid of them because their kids don't need them anymore. So, because I think they can cost about 20, 30 quid. And if you're buying two of them, yeah. as we know, as yeah. when parents know, yeah. you know, everything is double. Um, so yeah, picking up some secondhand ones is a really good yeah. shout. Definitely, they do. You're right. They're always the kind of thing that you find. I think I picked mine up for about five or 11 years ago. So, and they're still going strong. <laughs> Well, okay, that's great. I'll have a look. Um, Just thinking as well about moving from the sleeping bag to the um, duvet, would you ever like still have them in the sleeping bag and then just have the duvet in the cot or should you just do a clean break and just get them out of the sleeping bags and use a duvet? No, no, you can totally do that. Um, As long as it's not too hot, that's the only thing that you would want to look out for. So if you're going to use the two at the same time, I would go for like a one point um, tog sleeping bag and then a really yeah. light summer duvet um, but yeah no there's no as long as there's no overheating risk there's no right or wrong to that once they're once they're over the 12 months it's absolutely fine so yeah we do that okay, um, now um, last question from me Sarah um, a lot of people think that sleep issues are for babies and toddlers but um, it's totally normal, isn't it? For even like your preschooler or even once he starts school to still be having issues. Um, my twins are four and a half and I would say about four or five months ago, we only just nailed the whole sleep thing. And before that, like what you were describing at the beginning, how, you know, sleep can just affect everything and how you're feeling and your relationships and everything in life and work that's where we were kind of like six months ago. Um, and yeah, we did a lot of work to get to a point where now it's like, oh, like they actually sleep through the night and it's all good. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of chat to you about that because I, I, I kind of, we felt like, oh, we should be past this by now. And, but it's totally normal, isn't it? totally normal they are like us you know if you imagine going through a really stressful period in your life your sleep goes out the window or if you've been ill you'll be you'll have broken sleep children are exactly the same so sleep is not linear you can do everything that you deem as right in those early days or early months and you could still 
have a period of time where you have an absolute shocker and that is normal that it's it is what it is like children go through a lot if you think about the changes that they go through right up you know even into the teenage years you know when you're hitting puberty and things that can really disrupt sleep so as much as we'd love to say that you know once you've got a full night's sleep that's it for life it absolutely isn't so never feel shame if you're going through sleep disruption it is a hundred percent normal what was happening Alison with one of the twins getting up yeah, so basically, um, one of them was fine and sleeping through and like perfect. Um, and the other one, every single night, she just got, got herself into a habit of waking up, um, anything from like 10 p.m. through to 2 a.m. and, um, calling for us. And so we went through months and months and months of like one of us sitting by her bed. And then we read some advice actually being near the door is better. So we had a, a little stool, like a little kid's stool by the, by the, by the door. And we'd be there for like one hour, two hour in the middle of the night, just absolutely like waiting for her to go back to sleep. I know, Jenna. Um, and then, um, she, then we were like, right, let's put a, a mattress on our floor and she can come up and she can sleep on our floor. So that became the new thing where she would wake up come up to our bed our bedroom and sleep on this little mattress uh, and that worked fine for a while and then she started waking up from the mattress and trying to crawl into our bed and some some families co-sleep brilliantly and it really worked for them and that's great I'm not a co-sleeping parent and my children my children aren't co-sleeping children <laughs> because the elbows go everywhere their feet go everywhere they headbutt me and so after about an hour of this, I would just get up and come down to the sofa and I was getting rubbish sleep on the sofa every night. It was miserable. Oh, Sounds awful. And so, yeah, we eventually, we spoke to um, somebody who does basically very similar work to Sarah, who worked with us and um, within within like three nights, she, she was, my, 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 my twin was sleeping through and then within like two weeks, it was absolutely like she wasn't waking up at all. And it was all, it was all good. So I cannot recommend, like if you are at rock bottom and you're desperate and you can't make, because sometimes when you're in that situation, you can be like watching YouTube videos and reading websites and reading books and trying to get all this information. And it just, it just muddles your head even more. So I think working with an mm. actual person like you, Sarah, can just make the difference and it's just what you need to have somebody come in and say don't worry here's the plan mm-hmm. and it works it's so true it's like like having the plan and everybody being on the same page and actually somebody else making that plan for you removes the doubt in each other so you know because it is natural when you're sleep deprived you do bicker and you do want to attack each other so if somebody else has said well this is what you're going to (laughs) do that takes all that anxiety away and it means then that you are consistent I think when you're struggling with google and you know reading lots of different people's advice you take bits from each one but actually you're totally inconsistent for the children then so if you've got that consistent approach it does work yeah it's honestly the work you do is life-changing so (laughs) Thank you. Um, yeah, and a big thank you, Sarah, for joining us today. It has been wonderful to talk to you. Um, where can people find out um, more from you and hear from you online? 
Um, so as Jenna mentioned at the start, there's the Sleep Mums podcast and um, there are Sleep Mums on Instagram and Facebook. And then I am on Instagram as Sarah Carpenter Sleep. And you can book consultation calls through my website, um, which is sarahcarpentersleep.com. And then we can go from there. So, yes, that's where I am. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah. It has been awesome speaking to you i'm sure lots of people will feel a lot better about this transition especially <laughs> myself <Yes>. um, <laughs> i do i feel i i don't i feel like we've had a little yeah jenna sorted now you. she sorted um <laughs> and yeah don't, don't forget to uh, to follow twinning it on your podcast app and to give us a rating and a review as it will help other twin parents find us yay well that's it from us today thanks a lot for listening until next time